Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Why Neurotrauma is Here to Stay, or COVID and Trauma. Our guest is considered by many to be one of the top NLP and hypnosis trainers. He is a licensed psychologist, master certified alcohol and drug counselor, and master hypnotist instructor. He was one of the few non-law enforcement people to be asked to attend the FBI crisis hostage negotiation course at the FBI Academy. He is the author, and I'll get ready to write this list down. He is the author of the best-selling book, Mind Control, How to Get Others to Do What You Want and Have Them Think It Was Their Idea, one of the most useful possible things you could have. Um, that's a that's a great one right there quantum psychology habits for success nlp for sales using symbols and the number the alcohol and addiction solution that i want to talk a lot of, i want to talk about all this stuff and ultimate fat loss for you again uh with symbols and the the you instead of the word and secret psychology of persuasion as well as Primary objective, neurolinguistic psychology and guerrilla warfare. That, that is a body of knowledge right there. Woof. His style is down to earth and easy to read. He reveals the secrets of the mind so people can take control of their lives now. His passion, passion for this technology comes from personal experience. He has a black belt in karate and has won tournaments and recently has focused on trauma and trauma recovery. Ladies and gentlemen and others, I give you Dr. William D. Horton. And there's a bunch of letters behind that name, but we'll, we'll just go with the doctor. Cool. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. By the way, uh, listener, I, I've, I've known Will, I call him Will, because uh, we're that close, <laughs> uh, for some time on Facebook, social media i follow him because he's got so much great content <laughs> quite frankly uh that he shares freely uh, as among as you know as well as the stuff i just described and but this is our first uh and we've we've, we've chatted on facebook uh, uh pm but this is our first actual dialogue you know oral conversation and so i'm very happy to finally do it by the way there's one other thing uh we have in common we have some lineage in common uh, the person who certified me as a uh, life coach years ago, when it was whatever, seven, eight years ago, uh, was Melissa Tears, who I'm pretty sure was certified by you in neurolinguistic programming, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Now, she, she's one of your big success stories. She is very respected and renowned in the hypnosis community. Yeah, she's keynoting at Hypno Thoughts this year. Those uh, hypno events, like hypno thoughts, they're, they're becoming bigger and bigger all the time. They're like they're extravaganzas. Yeah, it's 
Pretty cool. I've I've never attended one. I imagine you've been to been to a number and and often. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's yeah. For about thirty years, I go to these events. And wow. So you're all had it. How would you describe these events? Um. Well, they're 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 a lot more user friendly and hands on and stuff you can apply than like the clinical side. Like I, I, I go to psych conferences and I'll call them drug conferences and the information's there, but it's not as easily accessible and, and applicable. Mm-hmm. And the biggest difference I've noticed, to be honest, is the hypno and NLP world is much more fun <laughs> than the clinical world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's okay. So that's an incentive for me to go finally. <laughs> What can you tell me about why the new findings in neurobiology and neuroscience are changing how we view personal change? Well, it, a lot of it is we there. There's the science now that's hard science that that is proven and disproven other things, but proven a lot of the things that we teach in hypnosis and NLP um, that we just kind of knew. And the best example would be like. Uh, uh, well, the two examples would be eye accessing cues, how you move your eyes tells you what part of the brain you're accessing. I, I mean, we've been doing that since the early 80s. I have since the early 80s. And there was a lot of, you know, like, is it really true or not true? And now when they can map your mind, when they, you know, put you in an MRI or whatever, it is true. When you move your eyes, different parts of your brain access, not what you're thinking. This is what we have to stress, but how you're thinking it. Are you seeing pictures? Are you making sounds? Are you making feelings? And so different parts of your brain lights up, right? So we know that something we've taught is true and then it can help you speed up learning. The other thing is what, you know, in NLP, we talk about rapport, where if you mirror match somebody, uh, it puts them at ease, right? And I always say rapport stands for really all people prefer others resembling them. We like people <laughs> who look like us or act like us or have a similar belief set, right? Uh, and that's because that's how your brain's been developed for millions of years, millions and millions of years. It would kept your butt alive out in the Serengeti and the plains and all this, right? And so we know now that your reticular activating system, you have this ganglia of nerves that that's its main job is to keep you alive. So if I run into somebody and we're sitting alike, we're breathing alike, or we've got this in New York, you know, if you if you're if you're a Yankees fan and you've got your Yankee gear on, you see somebody with Yankee gear, all of a sudden you're 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 compatico, right? You're you're all right, as opposed to when you saw if you see somebody, heaven forbid, with a Boston Red Sox hat on, right, or a, a Mets hat, it'll it'll create conflict. And so what we know now with those kind of things is we can teach people how to speed up rapport skills how to use rapport skills for things like therapy, for things like sales, marketing, all this, all the stuff that we kind of know, it's beginning to develop the science behind it. It also points out, I always say this about your reticular activating system, because our brains are constantly in development and, and evolving, but we still got the same brain we've had for about a million years. So it was developed to keep us alive from massive threat. We don't have those threats right now. And you know, we, we, get we need trauma. to bring those threats back. Yeah. And so our brain does other things. And now it's kind of like your reticular activating system. A good example would be if you ever wanted a new car, but you don't know what kind of car you want. So you're looking at this car and that car and say you want a, a new BMW. 
suddenly you'll see a BMW everywhere. The day before you wouldn't notice it. Now you see it everywhere, right? Because you're, you've given that part of your brain the, the, the command, find this for me, and it will find it. Of the 10 cars out there, it'll see the BMW over there, right? And so now we know that. So once you begin to apply that knowledge, it can help people in self-development or therapy, whatever you want to call it. It can speed it up. So it, to me, it's just fascinating stuff. The more we learn, the more questions we have. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Let me ask you a question. I was a life coach closed up that coaching practice a couple of years ago to focus on technological coaching. I, I created a virtual coaching program. I love coaching. Do you, now you, you, you wear at least five hats, maybe more. <laughs> and you're, you're an NLP and a hypnosis trainer. Do you still coach? Yeah. I, yeah. I take clients, you know, they're, they're fun. You do take clients still one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. I was interested if you still did that, if you had time for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I always say to people, you know, if your coach doesn't have a coach or your teacher is not taking classes, you should find a new coach or a new teacher. Right, right. You know, you, they are, they should be learning and growing. And so, right. and I've got people I work with, but also, you know, on my side, but also it's, that's how I, that's how I really can apply the stuff that I'm learning and doing it is when I do it with, not just in a classroom setting or if I'm teaching a class, like I just finished a class, that's great, but also sitting there with, with the client and helping them uh, make those breakthroughs. Uh, that's one of the greatest things. When I, when I did that, you know, as a coach, it's one of the greatest feelings. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's the goal, you know, <laughs> you know, when I got started too with NLP and well coaching and using, I primarily used NLP. Sometimes uh I would say to myself, this shit really works. <laughs> you know, they would be, they would have such a transformation, such an, a, a, you know, a change, you know, go from, you know, crying and to, oh yeah, that doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> you know, it was just incredible. Uh, but okay, let's, let's just take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll come back, right? We'll come right back with Dr. William Horton. He has so much to say, and I want to give him as much time to say it as I possibly can. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perphysio. What if there was a self-improvement program truly personalized to you, that knew and cared for you deeply, that whatever was going on in your life adapted for you perpetually? Visit www.perphysio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O.io where you can start a program that will always suit you, considering all the pressures and nuances of your life. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. William Horton. Can you talk about how neurotrauma is the base of most dysfunction? Well, and this is something I've thought about for years, right? And... I'm always looking at it. I've been doing this since the early 80s, but it always fascinates me and still does when you see people go into some kind of training, coaching, whether it's an addiction treatment or personal coaching or whatever, and they and it works. And then other people go into the same program, do the same steps as at least as much as we can figure, and yet don't get better. But what's the difference that makes the difference, right? That's what we're all, our, I always find fascinating, right? 
And my background is in addiction. So it's kind of like, hmm, why is this working or not? And the current research and the stuff I found over the years is if there's some kind of trauma, a neural trauma, and I don't mean just a, not a head injury, but a trauma in their past, it creates neural blocks. It's actually in your nervous system. It is not in your mind. And this is the key. You cannot use words to remove it. You cannot use pictures because it's the part of your body that's, that's forming and it goes down your vagus nerve and it gets, it's like having a clogged pipe. If the pipe is clogged, the, the stuff won't flow, right? And so that's why you'll see people make certain steps of recovery toward anything, whether it's you know an addiction or weight loss or, or financial recovery. And then they get to a point and they blow it up and they, and they regress, right? Because there's some neural, there's, when I say neural block, I mean like a nervous block. It's in the body, right? That doesn't respond to words. And then in the psychology side of it, even though they, the, the current thought up to a few years ago, till this started really breaking in the 90s and getting really more and more popular, is they would tell people like, let's talk about your, let's say somebody has post-traumatic stress disorder. Let's talk about the trauma. You know, you're a combat veteran, you had a car wreck, you were a victim of violent crime, right? Thinking talking it out makes it better. And sometimes that'll work, but rarely does it work. Many people, it's why you see so many people, like, you know, they just quit therapy because it makes it worse. Talking about it makes it worse. You know, it's why hypnosis and NLP has always been popular. We bypass it. But in my opinion, there's certain things that the, even the NLP techniques or hypnosis can't, technique, unless you do certain things, can't bypass this, this block to get down and make the change on the inside. I think that these dysfunctions, Okay, that's the behavior is a dysfunction, call it that, right? They don't get the outcome they want. They don't get the goal. Uh, they're so, you know, they're so pervasive, the root of it, that people don't even, you know, when they talk about the word normal, they resent the word normal because they can't become normal. If you, to me, normal is functional. Okay, whatever it is, you want a goal, you achieve the goal. That's normal. That's functional. So, but they become, they're dysfunctional because these things that are so deep and so hard to change that they say they, they have a new narrative. There is no normal. I'm like, and I say to myself, and I'm going to tell you, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 20 years in recovery. I'm 20 years recovering addict. I used to be a very dysfunctional person. I used to be a very angry person and whatever other dysfunctions I had. But I work through them to become more and more functional, right? Which is to say, and I say, more and more normal. Now, that's not a derision of, on anybody, not a criticism. You know, life as a human is a difficult situation, right? We have lots of issues to deal with. But you working on revolutionary stuff, whether the, the science itself or the, the, you know, your own developments. Uh, and what, what is this new science of trauma? Well, it, it's like I say, things get stuck in that in 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 your in your nervous system yeah. right and and again we got to realize all trauma is personal you know we could be brothers and let's if we were you were in the army i was in the army if we, if we saw combat right if we were in the same fire mission right i may be traumatically scarred by that and you're like no big deal let's go on right, right. and so then it also adds a level of guilt here i'm over there freaking out because i'm like just thinking about the guys that died and you're like, well, you know, everybody buys a farm sometime, da, 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 da. 
So, and there's no judgment there, but then, so, so it, that trauma gets locked in my body. And now we can fast forward, you know, a decade, two decades, whatever it is. And whenever I'm exposed to like, ex like loud exploding noises, like on the 4th of July, you know, and I see things as a threat, I freak out, right? And it's a neurological response. It goes beyond the conscious mind. You can't think your way out of it, right? right. Once it starts. And other people don't get it, right? And again, it's because all trauma is personal. And that's what we're beginning to figure out. And then, you know, uh, you have to figure out ways to do it. A good, here's an example. And, and, I, and I just viewed this, right? There was a guy who um, has been in and out of recovery. Right now, you, you probably could relate to this, right? He'll come in and he'll get a little better six, nine months, right? And and start getting better. He's going to meetings, he's doing the things, doing everything that you're supposed to do. And then gradually, you know, he begins to pull back, begins to pull back, right? And people reach out and try to help. Come on back, you know, it's working, do this. And then something happens, he'll explode, disappear, right? And then, then he, you know, if, and I've seen this pattern as you have numerous times, right? And if they live, if they relapse, and if they live, they'll eventually come back and the pattern repeats, right? And so what I think, I project, right, if you will, um, maybe he has something inside of him that when I let, when I start really getting close to people, I have to run around, I have to run away. Because every time in my past, could be for me was a little kid, if I trust you, I get burned, right? So it could be a parent authority thing, and especially if it happens when you're a little kid. And again, it doesn't mean the parents were like, not judging them, we don't know what happened. But if the person receiving it perceives it as a trauma, it becomes a trauma. And then of course, un unwittingly, parents and teachers and authority figures say things like, you shouldn't feel that way. That drives it deep. Now, oh, I shouldn't feel this way, right? And so if that happened when you're quite young, it develops this, there's a block. So when most people begin to learn how to mature, get a mature approach to trust, right? So I meet somebody, I trust you till I can really trust you. I can, you know, and I realize there's limits of trust, right? Which is something people that don't have that always will be hurt, you know? And so here's this, this person and, I, you know, he comes in, he starts making friends, people start reaching out and he's doing well. And then he looks for reasons to be pissed off because anger is his anger and addiction are his default coping mechanisms. Well, he's not drinking right now or using, so he'll get angrier and angrier and angrier, which means I can run away from the meetings and the people that are trying to help me, right? right. And then he'll, I don't know what'll happen. But if he doesn't figure out a way to work through that, and in the old 12-step world, which I, I like that, and it works if you do it, you know, they say you got to stay here long enough to get the miracle. You know, let us love you till you learn how to love yourself. Well, if you, that's a big step. Yes. That's a big step for a lot of people. And depending on their background and everything, you know, it, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing I sit there and go, interesting. Now, this was at a meeting I just happened to be at because I go to it. I'm not there doing anything other than being myself. So it's like, hmm, could there be something there? And I know that a lot of us have those kind of issues, right? Um, and I was working personally, you asked about coaching, there's somebody I was coaching, uh, she reached out to me because she goes, uh, she has a, what did she describe it? A self-destructive 
habit of attracting narcissists in her life. <laughs> so again, you know, if there's a as she person said, you know, if there's if I walk if if I walk into a place and there's a hundred single men and that I find attractive and 99 of them are healthy, vibrant guys that want a good relationship. And there's one batshit crazy narcissist. That's the only guy I'll talk to. That's probably right? much more common than uh, people realize. Oh yeah. And so we had to look at like what it was, how she was comfortable and, you know, and what would happen and when she talked about relationships she'd been in where the person was nice and normal and wanted to, as they got closer, it was time to run away. Right. Right. So she would push them away. Now I get a guy that's crazy or I've seen guys do this too. I bring the person in that, you know, they're crazy, but I'm comfortable with that crazy, <laughs> you know, oh, they're going to cheat on me. They're going to be abusive. They're going to spend all my money. <gasps> I feel like home. <laughs> you know, I, I was at that, you know, comfortable with that level of crazy quite some time ago. And then it became so painful. I'm talking about romance and, you know, sexual relationships became so painful that I said, I've got to end this. I, I this, there's got to be a, a better way. And that, that, that truly was the touchstone of my recovery. I wasn't successful until some more effort uh, and more learning, but that was that pain in, in these patterns of destruction, uh, self-destruct, this self-destruction, you know, there are very rarely uh, another destruction, external destruction. Uh, and uh, the pain was the the beginning to change myself, and it, it was revolutionized my life. You know, uh, we, you know, we're both in the fields of personal development. Uh, you're very accomplished, you know, but uh, we have a lot of of, uh, of experience with addiction and recovery, and we're going to talk about that next. We've already, we've already touched and alluded to, but we're going to get into it right uh, when we come back after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Do you know why most wealthy people are that way? It's because they think like wealthy people and a fool and his money are soon parted. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O.io where you can actually transfer the wealth mentality into your own brain and you will think wealth. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. William Horton. Dr. Horton, or as I call him, Will, <laughs> is trauma related to addiction and other issues like depression and anxiety? Yeah, because it is, and, and a lot of, there's a lot of thought that backs up the fact when they talk about what's a gateway to addiction, you know, like, is it like social drinking, kids drinking too young? you know, gateway drugs, whatever they talk about it. The current real thought is the gateway to true addiction, besides the genetic component, <clears throat> is trauma, right? So if you have a trauma and you learn to self-medicate through alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, whatever it happens to be, that'll become your default uh, mechanism to cope with that, whatever it was, whether it's some kind of trauma. It's why in the recovery world, it's not unusual to hear somebody in recovery especially from alcohol or drugs, can vividly remember the first time they got high or had a drink. Because they'll say it was like the first time I felt normal. Mm. It's the first time I could connect with friends or with other people, right? And so they could spend the next decades, years, 
if not the rest of their lives, chasing that feeling, right? And then it becomes the thing that helps you becomes the things that destroy you, right? And so that's, that's the basic, you know, the trauma of addictions, right? And if you have um, a genetic component that will hook, I, I always say this, you know, it's like there's, I call them the boxes. This is this changed how I looked at addictions, you know, because for years it was like it was either you were or you weren't, end of story, right? Or, you, or if you had a genetic component, you were or you weren't, end of story. Now with the study of epigenetics and some of the other stuff, it's changing it. But I look at it like, you know, it's like putting things in boxes, especially in the Western world. When you're born, unless you're born to an active alcoholic or drug addict, you're, you're, you're a tablet, you're blank slate. You don't drink, you don't drug. It's just not in your world. You may see your parents do it, but you don't do it, right? Fine. So you're abstinent just because you're abstinent, you know? Then you move into a phase where you're going to experiment with drugs or alcohol. As much as every parent listening says, not my kids, you know it's true especially in the Western world. They're gonna drink, they're gonna smoke, whatever it is, right? So most, a lot of people go into the experimental phase. A few will go, I don't like this feeling, you know? They just don't like it. I have a friend like that. They, they said, yeah, I remember first time I had a drink. I didn't like the way I, it made me feel. I never drank again. I don't understand that, but that's them, right? So they go back to being abstinent. Now, most people will go from this experimental phase to social using. They'll drink, they'll not drink, it's no big deal. They'll drink at a party, they might not drink for weeks at a time, they'll go to a ball game. They're normal, they can drink or not drink. Fine, right? And sometimes they'll be abstinent, they don't have an issue, that's just, I'm not drinking right now. Great. And then, so you have the, you have the never use, the social, you know, social experimentation, the, the social drinking or using, whatever, including smoking dope, all those things. Right? But then some people will move into a maladaptive phase, as they would call it. Hello. They're using the substance, right? That was, that was me. Right. And it could be, you know, let's say it could be like you go through a divorce or you're stressed out. So you're drinking too much. You know, you're listening to country music, drinking at the bar, crying in your beer. Right. So you're drinking too much. Right. Or, you know, you go, you lose a loved one. You can't handle the pain. So you start self-medicating. Right. Taking pain pills. You're doing this. Right. And it's maladaptive. It's causing you, you know, I always say one of the four L's cause it brings you, right? Lover, liver, livelihood of the law. Somebody in one of those L groups is driving you to get help. Now, some of those people go, and it doesn't always have to be negative. It could be the young guy goes, goes away to college, joins a fraternity and stays drunk for four years, right? Because that's what everybody's doing. They're drinking, they're drugging, woo, part animal house, right? And then they get out of college and they go get a job and they settle down and you run into them 10 years later. They can, they go back to social drinking. They can drink or not drink. The guy goes through a painful divorce or the woman loses a loved one. And so they're drinking too much. They work through that somehow. And guess what? They go back to social drinking, which goes against the addiction model. Cause over here they fit the addiction model, but now they're going back and they're like, no, I, I drink. I don't drink. Da, 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 da. Now there's a certain subset, this is where trauma comes in. If there was a trauma block or there's something going on and they were abusing substance, they move into where they're dependent on the subject, on the substance. They can't quit. Right. It's physically impossible. And so, you know, when you look at it that way, and if this is the luck of the draw, you know, I'm, I'm, I got Irish, you mean I got blondish hair and red, blue eyes that, I could, I could do affirmations all day long, but I, it's probably not gonna change my eye color or my hair color, right? 
except Miss Clairol may keep the gray away, but that's a different thing, right? Uh, so anyway, so you know, when you look at it that way, that's why some of the people, let's say they're drinking too much, they're going through some kind of maladaptive phase, you know, and they go through treatment and they walk out of treatment and they never drink or they they can go back to social drinking. Drives the alcohol and drug of tre treatment world crazy, right? Oh, you're going to end up drunk again. You're going to back be, and they don't, right? Which also then, you know, if you're in the recovery world, you're looking at those people like they're crazy, right? But then they may be looking at you like you're crazy, right? But it's that genetic component. So when you look at that, and if trauma is the thing that sets off that epigenetic is what it's called when, when certain things fire, you know, uh, and if trauma is that, that what does that, then you're doomed that you could, the only choices you're going to have in life is drink or not drink. That's it. If you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you drug or not drug. There's no social drinking ever again. Right. And that's a, that's a smaller subgroup and it's based on trauma. Right. And again, if you get these people and they've got that twist and they fix that trauma, whether they go to 12 step meetings, whether they go to self-development, whether they do coaching, but they work through it, they'll get back to normalcy. But the only flip will be, they just, they're going to be abstinent, right? And it's kind of interesting because it, it's, and you, if you've been around the cover world, you know that when they say it, it's an allergy, <laughs> you have an allergy that manifests as desire to drink more. My wife has an allergy to shellfish, right? She eats shellfish, she gets deathly ill. The only difference is she didn't try to make herself eat shellfish for 20 years like I did. <laughs> yeah. I heard a funny uh, quote in the rooms long ago. Um, and I, you know, I was in AA and NA long ago. And um, when I heard this guy say, when he drank alcohol, he broke out in cocaine. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that was me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I break out like teeth, windows. Right, yeah. right, exactly. The behavior gets whatever. Now, you have a home study course on uh, addiction recovery. And this is something yeah. else we've got in common because I'm, I'm actually formulating one too. And I have it's on reserve, but yours is already out there. Right? And people are using it. And, yeah. And I'm, I'm re I just finished a course on trauma, right? And I'm redoing the addiction course next month. I'm teaching it and going to re-record it based on some of the new information on, you know, how to how to help people make these leaps, make these changes, right? Because it should be an evolving field, but unfortunately, some to this day, the addiction field is still stuck in 1935. <laughs> right? Had, Bill had W. To, started it. Yeah, and it and and you know, and I I did read one meta-analysis some guy supposedly did about like, when he looks at people that do well in 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous especially, it was the people that drank and used in social settings, right? If you were a bar drinker, if you partied more with other people, when you start going to meetings, you felt more comfortable because you like people. And he goes, the people that don't like the 12-step program are the ones that drank at home, right? Or only got high by themselves. It's like, so then they got to go to meetings. It's like, this is, so even that little thing, you know, I wish they would teach more to people. That is very interesting. Um, now, how can we spot neuro or hidden trauma with, you know, these, I mean, besides, 
I, I don't want to, obviously the behavior of addiction, but listen, I'll, I asked the question, I'll let you answer it. Well, addiction is a big one, right? That could be one, but also self-sabotage, mm. just self-sabotage, right? They'll, someone starts getting close to one of their goals, their things, and they blow it up, right? So there could be some kind of trauma, right? How you respond to certain situations, right? It, it, because it's an instantaneous response. You know, if, if you, let's say someone feels disrespected or belittled, right? They're, they instantly go to rage, Yes. right? There was probably some kind of trauma. And again, all trauma is personal and it's not a judgment, but maybe when that, when a child or young person was developing, you know, and they had people tell them all the time, that's stupid, you're stupid. You shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, that, 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 that. So they had no, they didn't learn how to res get any respect. So anything they, they perceive as disrespectful, they'll blow up the situation, including, you know, there's my boss. All I got to do is be nice to him. He's the CEO of a corporation, right? And he kind of does an eye roll or something that I perceive as disrespectful. So I tell him to fuck off, excuse my language, right? Which won't play well in a Fortune 500 company, right? So, you know, somebody's on the fast track to making it and they blow it up, right? Or again, like in your relationship, you start getting, you, you get the woman or the man of your dreams um, and it starts getting good and you start getting close and then you blow it up, right? So that, those are the kind of things you begin to see the trauma uh, in that way. And also just the way true, if it's really, really obvious you see the the trauma response which is you know your shoulders are down your head's down you don't want to look anybody in the eye you know you have a meek you're afraid to step you're afraid to stand up for yourself even when you know it's right you avoid confrontation um and like i said you 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 will defer your your opinions to the opinions of others right and so if you have that you'll it's that that physiology of shame because trauma leads to shame absolutely great stuff okay let's take a quick word a quick moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back uh, i doubt we no no it won't be our final segment i think we got two more segments this is great great stuff i'm so enjoying this this episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by proficio do you like learning by yourself or with others what if you could do both at the same time? Visit www.proficio.io. That's proficio.io, where you can learn in the environment that suits you as you choose. Okay, you're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. William Horton, and we're talking about, you know, talking about a number of things, primarily addiction and recovery, but actually much more than that. And there's, there's business news here, there's tech news, there's psychology news, you know, and people, you know, I think the big societal problem that is so pervasive for a very long time now, people want to get better with a pill, right? They want the instant solution, which doesn't exist for the most part. But what, but there are ways that we can expedite our, our recoveries and our solutions. What can we do to get better fast? Well, one is uh, find someone trained. They may be a therapist, that's good if they are, but they should be trained in things like NLP and hypnosis 
the things that begin to reprogram the subconscious mind, because that's where stuff gets stuck, right? It's either stuck in your subconscious mind or it's stuck in your neurology. You know, if you feel you may have a trauma or, or you think there could be something in there, you, you probably should find someone that's trained somehow in what they're beginning to call trauma-informed treatment, right? Which, which has a different viewpoint, right? Because they, they understand it's not just talking about your problems. It's about getting in there, making changes at the neurological or the nervous level to help people make changes, right? But unfortunately, like you say, medicine, which, you know, don't get me wrong, if I had a car wreck or I was shot, I want a Western trained MD, or, you know, to help me because they're good at, at, at that kind of trauma. They're not necessarily good at keeping you healthy, right? And so they've deferred uh, to the pharmacological approach to everything, right? And like, you know, the, the, in this current COVID thing, the, the, the prescriptions for psychotropic medication, anti-anxiety, anti-depression, and sleep medication is through the roof. And most of those medications are prescribed by general practitioners or nurse practitioners who don't do therapy. They're like, oh, you can't sleep there, Tony, here, take this. Oh, you got stress here, take this. And they might say, go see somebody, you know, but the way our system's set up, it's like, okay, now come back in six weeks and we'll see how your meds are doing, right? And in the old world, if you really read the thing, they, they, they should be telling their people to go get help outside of the medicine, but we've defaulted to medicine, right? And then on top of it, right now, what we're going through, I gotta say this, it's like the things that make you feel and heal are the things right now they're taking away from us, right? You know, human beings need other human beings. We need to touch people. We need to be close to people, right? We need all this human interaction, right? And again, it's the de it's the decoupling of the medical model where you're you're they just want to keep the body alive. And they're almost like, well, you don't need to touch people, you don't need to hug, you don't need to really be close to people. We'll keep the body alive, right? And so it's that de I just call it decoupling which is like, hmm, so is that why we're seeing massive depression, anxiety, alcohol sales are up 40 something percent. God knows how much marijuana sales are through the roof since it's legal now. I mean, like I said, the prescription meds are through the roof. Overdoses are climbing like unbelievably. Suicides are at their all time high, you know, but nobody's really looking at, you know, what's really driving it. These are desperate times. And we're gonna get into that a little bit more. Uh in a few minutes, but before we do, um, you offer so much education in so many areas. This is, I, I love what you're about, truly, sincerely. Um, but let's, let's back up two steps. Um, are, are, are empathic people more prone to trauma? Oh yeah, yeah. Because if you're empathic, um, you feel other people's pain, right? And so, there's a lot of pain going on in the world. You know, people are disconnected from their families, not just the COVID thing. We just went through the most conflicting political time in American, you know, since the civil war. So, I mean, there's, you know, families broken up. So if you're empathic, you're feeling the other people's pain unhealthily and no one's, and again, because we've taken away the connections, 
there's nowhere for you to process that out, right? And it's all just, and it's overwhelming. And you can tell if you're empathic, if you feel pain when you see other people in pain, if you have to be the one to step in and help, right? And if that happens, that means you're more empathic, you know? And, and then you're, you don't get any reprieve from it, right? And if you're truly empathic, then you feel guilty when you feel good if other people are feeling bad, you know? How can I be happy when other people are losing their jobs or my, my friend lost her husband or this is going on or that? I, 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 I can't feel good, you know? Yeah, it's a, it can be a real curse to be empathic. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a pretty good balance with that where, you know, I I'm certainly can be and, and I am empathic, but other times I'm, I'm, I'm a callous son of a bitch. Uh, and, 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 that's, and that's not necessarily a selfish thing. It's a, it's a good balance to be both because there are times to be empathic and there are times to quote unquote, not give a shit, or at least not let your problem be my problem. <laughs> you know, well, and, and, and I, I, you know, I had to learn that. And, and that is one thing I do credit the 12 step program for teaching me, which is I carry the message. I don't carry the alcoholic, right? Right. If you're there, I'll do whatever I can to help you, but I can't, I can't get you sober. I can't get you better, you know? And then of course I got in the clinical world and that's called clinical detachment. You know, and, and you have to have that or you get overwhelmed and burned out. Truly, you know, I, I have we have this we have so we have so much experience in this again in addiction and recovery. You know, someone was just uh, talking to me, you know, that they have uh, these problems, including addiction. And I said to him, I said, listen, I hear, I hear you got these problems, but I want you to understand that the you have no bigger problem than addiction okay you've got this you got that addiction is, is you know that could, you know is just self-destruction okay it's it's a slow self-destruction depending on the nature of the substance or the behavior or the be or that or the behaviors that manifest that will dictate the speed of that of that slowness or but it, that's what it is. So unless, even if you have like cancer, which is, you know, often terminal, at least a prognosis, uh, you may live, but addiction, you're already on the road to death. <laughs> you're on the road, you have to get off that road. This is a critical, you know, whatever other problems you have, and, and you, 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 you know, you teach about so many more things than this, these traumas and addictions. And, and I'm going to get in the final segment, we're going to get into that. But I want to emphasize the importance of recovery from addiction and dealing with, you know, dealing with your problems, whatever they may be. But that's the one problem that we often try to avoid solving because it's so deep. It's often traumatic, you know, comes from a deep trauma. Go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's insidious in its nature, right? Because, uh, and you'll see people justify it, right? It's, it's the addiction. And, well, this helps me. I can't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get better when I get a job, when I get married, when this, you know, rather than you got to get better first, right? You got to look at the addiction. What's going to kill you first, right? The alcohol, the drugs, this. And I even see it in people in recovery where, People say like, you know, uh, they, they can't quit smoking until they've been sober three years. And I'm sitting there going, there's no guarantee you're gonna make three years. You know, you may get emphysema, you may get lung cancer, it's, it's whatever, right? 
And so that begins to show how, how deep it can get, right? And, but again, like you said, brilliantly said, it's that, you know, you, that's, the, that's the big problem in front of you. You can't work at the other problems until you're sober, you know? And, you know, I, and the 12-step program brought an awful lot to the forefront. And one of the things they, they, they stress, they still stress the 12-step program, you know, you can get sober with a job, without a job, with a wife, without a wife, that, 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 that. First, you get sober, then you work on the other stuff, right? And that was a clash with the therapeutic community for years. It's like, well, we'll start working on these problems and then we'll work on your addiction. Well, first of all, even from a site, if you are into cognitive behavioral therapy or, or talk therapy, as long as you're drinking or using, there's a mass, there's stuff. I'm not talking to the real you. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, I, I was blessed when I got into the clinical side, uh, there was a psychiatrist who ran the first addiction unit I was at, where he would not prescribe any psychotropic medication until you were sober six months. And boy, he got flack from it from other people, but he was like, you know, well, they can't sleep. Well, yeah, they've been drunk for five years. Of course they can't sleep. They get tired enough, they'll sleep, you know, and boy, it was that you know, let's fix. And that's what he used to say. What you said is like, let's get the addiction out of the way, you know, and then we can work on these other issues. Right. Totally. Okay. Uh, we'll take a quick moment for our, our final word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back with the, uh, the last few remarks from Dr. William Horton. This episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Proficio. The pandemic has painfully shown how we must have money put away not just for a rainy day, but for a whole bunch of them. You must accrue wealth to really be okay. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can truly learn financial principles like never before so that you can have the future you really want and need. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. William Horton. And I want to get into two areas before we let Dr. William Horton go. And, and we were talking about mostly trauma and, and neurological stuff. But, you know, he also does, talks a lot, you know, teaches a lot about business and sales, which I wanted to. I mean, we're, we're probably going to have to have you back for a second podcast, quite frankly. There's too much to you to, to, to I mean, obviously, we there's so much more that we haven't even touched on. But look, can we talk a little bit about business just briefly? I mean, talk about- Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, because- Come on, sorry. Yeah, well, and I always tell people, if you really want to learn how to motivate people, how to change people, how to get people to do things, study marketing. Don't study psychology or social work or therapy or, or coaching. Study marketing. They get us to believe that a Gucci bag is worth $5,000, but it's just a purse, right? You know, does a Rolex watch keep better time than a Timex? Well, maybe a little bit, but still it's a watch, right? I mean, but that's marketing. And that is, and they figured out some things in marketing, right? That really get people to take action. And so in business, it's like, you know, it, it's fascinating stuff. And uh, I love that even from the other side, because it's like, hmm, you know, why do, why do some people beat down the door to, to, to get to someone's training and someone else offering the exact same training actually may be better yet can't draw people, right? Right? 
And yet you go, hmm, interesting, what's going on here, right? And it's, it, it's the business side of it, right? And what begins to happen in our world of coaching and therapy and NLP and hypnosis is uh, they don't look at the business side of it, right? And that's why they end up, and it, and it can be frustrating, right? Um, yeah, and so it, that part is just fascinating to me. You know, I always say, you know, there's five steps, you know, that can help you build a huge business. It can help you build a empire. It can help you build, you know, anything you want. And it's a five simple steps, right? Want to know what they are? Please. Number one, you encourage their dreams. What is someone's dream, right? Because when you were a kid, you had dreams and hopes and people would go, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and some of them, yeah, as a little kid, I'm going to play pro baseball. I'm going to do this. Or maybe, you, especially when you get into that, like, adolescent phase, I want to be an actor. Oh, get, no, you're not, right? You don't want that, right? So no one encourages your dreams, right? So that little part of you is still inside. So when you meet somebody who encourages your dreams to get rich, to get famous, to do whatever, they're, they're magnetic. So you encourage someone's dreams. Secondly, you justify their failures. Tony, you dream of being rich and famous and doing this, this, and this. You know, it's not your fault. You're not. You know why it's not your fault? Right? So then you go, yes, it's not my fault. So you take away the guilt. So if you have a dream, I encourage your dream. And now, you know, I justify your, it's not your fault. Then I confirm your suspicions. And you know why, Tony, you're not, you, you want to be you know, whatever it is, and, but it's not your fault. It's because there are people withholding this information from you. You know, the government or the, the Illuminati or whatever, you know, they don't want you to be whatever it is, right? And, and then, so you encourage their dreams, justify their failures, confirm their suspicions. That's the third step where you confirm their suspicions. And then you allay their fears. You know what? I was just like you. I was just like you. I was there. And then I discovered, and then you tell what the secret is or what the answer is. Right. And then you you've already done the fifth step if you really want to create something big, which is now you have a common enemy. Right. Right. And and again, you know, you see this brilliantly done. And if you you want to watch it done perfectly, go back and watch the when they when they released the secret back, whatever that was, 15 years ago. Yeah. And what you dream of being rich and you dream of this and you dream of that. It's not your fault. Da, 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 da. And then, you know, it's. um it's because the Illuminati or the Masons or the government, they don't want you to have this. And you're like, yeah, you know, and then they tell you their sob story, right? It's like every internet marketer was homeless at one time, right? Yeah, right. It's like, really? Everyone, you know, it's like, because it's a good story, right? Yeah. So they all, so it's like, I was like you. Then I discovered whatever their method is, right? And then they create a common enemy. And so when you see this kind of stuff, wow. uh, that's what, you know, it's a, it's a, a bit nefarious, uh, but it's a very persuasive, a very effective persuasive model, persuasion model, right? Yeah, this and, when, and when I teach people, they go, oh, you shouldn't teach that. I go, no, because then when you learn it, you learn to spot it when it's being done to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know. Great stuff. Now that's now listen, right? That that right there, some very valuable stuff he shared with you right there. So, but just as you said, to detect it as well as to use it. But you know, strive to be ethical and moral. Okay, finally, let's get into the one last thing because it's so pertinent. Um, you know, we're still in a pandemic. What is COVID PTSD? Well, it's it's long term 
And technically right now, we're still in the COVID acute stress model because it hasn't ended yet, depending on where you're at. You're in New York, you're in a lot more lockdown situation than I am in Florida. You know, Florida has been open since last summer, right? And interestingly enough, our numbers are no worse. <laughs> that's, that's another discussion. <laughs> yeah. That's another discussion, right? And so we're experiencing all this trauma because there's rapid change going on around us and we're not geared for that, you know? Where if you have kids, you had to self, you had to homeschool, right? How the hell do you homeschool? You know, I, yeah, you might be a construction worker. You don't know, you don't know how to homeschool. So there's all these changes. So there's all this stress, and they took away most of our self-soothing mechanisms, right? Like going, and I'm not saying even destructive, but going to the movies, going out for just a beer, or going to the movies. That so the ways you used to self going to work out when they closed the gyms, right? So all your self-soothing was taken off the board, right? And so, and, and all the connection with other people that you could like commiserate with, especially when the business is closed. A lot of people, a lot of their human interaction is at, is at work, you know? Cause you come, you know, if you're a single parent, cause I had to work with somebody like this and they're stressed out, they don't want to tell their kids, their kids are like eight, nine, 10 years old or something like that, how stressed they were. And they were, they looked forward to going to work where they could commiserate with their coworkers. Well, suddenly they had to work from home, right? And so that was taken away. So all that stuff, so all this stress is still there, right? And we don't know how people are gonna respond, right? And now that we're seeing them start to take the cap off, you know, only a government bureaucracy and its stupid way they think the world works, well, we'll just go back to normal. <laughs> Good luck with that. I mean, what will be normal? There'll be some people go back to work. Some people don't go back to work. You know, their work has changed, all this stuff. So there's, and then you'll start getting that trauma response. And then one of the trauma responses you see is, you know, the people that can't handle it begin to feel guilty. Because again, one of my sayings is a lot of us judge our insides by other people's outsides. Oh, they're happy. They're doing great. You know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'm freaking out. Well, you don't know that person. They may, they may look like they're doing great. They're about to go home and blow their brains out, but we don't know that, right? And so all of that is just a month or two away from, from focusing. And we're already seeing it when the schools start opening and the kids go back to school, right? Because you've taken away, especially the kids like in junior high, early junior, that age group, you just took a year of their socialization skills away. Wow. And put them in an environment, maybe their parents were giving them whatever they could just to shut them up, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Now they're going back to school, there's the rules, there's the regulations, and there's, and plus yelling at little kids for wanting to touch each other and be human with each other. No, no, six feet apart, put up the plastic, wear the mask, <sighs> you know? Right. So I think all of this is, and we're seeing, and the other way we're seeing it is the pushback, because I saw it down here in Florida, where they just arrested whatever it was, a thousand people a night, because you know the spring breakers are partying. And I'm like, oh my God, you would think college kids want to have a good time. <laughs> Isn't that unheard of, right? Yeah. And and you know the pushback we're beginning to see, you know. And I know a guy that's real quick that really is into this more than me says. He's really surprised it made it a year that they could keep pushing us down, right? And people are just, well, so we'll see, right? 
So, you know. Yeah, great stuff. I really appreciate that. Well, uh, we're at the end. Uh, really, you, you delivered so much great content and value to me and my audience. I really appreciate it. How do people contact you? Well, the easiest way is drwillhorton.com, www.drwillhorton.com, or NFNLP, shameless plug, National Federation of Neurolinguistic Programming, uh, .com, nfnlp.com, and um, I have classes. I have, I do do coaching. You know, not as much as I used to, but I I talk to people and decide if I can help them or send them to someone they can get help. And uh, as you know, probably eighty percent of what I do is train people, right? So I just finished a class on uh, PTSD and COVID, and I got a class coming up in um, in next month in April on addictions. That's going to be a fun class. And then in May, I'm doing an, an NLP course. So if anybody wants to learn how to get people to do what you want and have them think it was their idea, that's what NLP does. <laughs> Great stuff. I, I mean, you've been such a wonderful guest. It's been a pleasure to finally have a, a dialogue and conversation with you. Uh, you know, we're going to have to have you back because there's so much more that, for us to talk about. Um, so if you, if, you, if you want to do that, you will, that will definitely happen. Uh, great stuff. Uh, again, uh, listener, viewer, uh, I encourage you to go to uh, drwillhorton.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-H-O-R-T-O-N.com, or nfnlp.com, which is this wonderful organization of NLP practitioners. I wanted to talk about it, but we're just out of time. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, you want to say goodbye, Will? I'd like to... Just wish everybody the best as we explore the road to happy destiny. Thank you. And remember, every one of us is responsible for ourselves and we can all use some help. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.